2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul wrote, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, God, please bless this time. God, may your word, not just this time, but forever, have a sacred place in our heart. God, may we draw to it, may we learn from it. God, may we reflect it. May we be motivated. May we be convicted. It's through Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. It was, by all accounts, kind of a normal day for me. It was kind of the, the mid-morning, and I'm kind of bouncing between meetings and, and dodging phone calls and, and different things like that, trying to get a lot done before noon because I was going to meet a group of some guys that re- report to me kind of at a, at a diner about, a, about an hour away and you know, really looking forward to, it was cabbage day uh, there at Doug's, and that means nothing to those of you that don't go to Doug's, but and really looking forward to that. And just as I'm kind of wrapping things up and kind of getting to where I think I'm about ready to leave, I get a phone call. And it's one of the guys that works for me, and he said, hey, Jim, uh, I just I need to let you know we had somebody collapse at work. He said, I don't know all the details. You know, we, we've got an emergency response team, and, and they were right there. They saw it happen. They were right there. Don't really know all the details, but just wanted you to be aware of that. Oh, okay. Appreciate you telling me that. I was kind of headed in that general direction, so I thought I'll, I'll swing by and see how he's doing. Got in the car, and maybe I'd driven just a couple of minutes. I don't even think I was on the highway yet. And he called me back. He said, Jim, um, he didn't make it. I said, what do you mean he didn't make it? I said, it was just a couple of minutes ago that you called me. I mean, it probably been seven, eight, nine, maybe ten minutes at the most. What do, you, what do you mean he didn't make it? What happened? And he went on to explain. He said, uh, you know, um, not really sure, but apparently he had some sort of a pre-existing condition. And his heart just gave out. And the paramedics just told us. And so, you know, I'm just kind of kind of dumbfounded, really. So I start heading that way. And, and see, to me, this is a big deal. Because most of my life, all of my life, really, from a work perspective, I've been in and around plants of some sort. You know, whether things can blow up and there's things that go on and just everything like that. And the one thing that I wanted to be able to do was to go my entire career and never have a death in any one of my facilities. It really bothered me. So I drove up there, you know, as quick as I could, and I happened to get to the parking lot about the time that one of the paramedics came back and he was doing kind of some some final and some follow-up and some reports and everything like that. And so, you know, not really knowing what to do, you know, I just went up and, you know, shook his hand and said, hey, thank you. And uh, I said, uh, i got to ask, what happened? And he said, and he just looked at me and he said, you know, sometimes it's just your time. 
I said, what do you mean, just your time? I, I needed something more than that. And I kind of pushed back. What do you mean, just your time? And he said, no, Jim, what you, what you got to understand, he said, this guy had like some serious pre-existing condition. He said, there was nothing that could have been done. And I said, what do you mean, nothing? I said, we've got this emergency response team. Surely they could have done something. And he said, Jim, they did. They did everything that they knew to do, everything that they were supposed to do. They did everything that you would ask for them. He said, it just, it still happened. He said, Jim, we were using the paddles and and everything like that. We maybe got a pulse. Faint. He said, and I said, is there anything that we could have done better? Yeah, because right now I I can't fix that problem, but I I can fix the next one. He goes, Jim. And he rattled off a gentleman's name. He said, that was the team leader. And that's going to become important here in just a second. He said, you were doing CPR within 20 seconds of him falling down. And you did it right. He said, we just happened to be in the general area. We were there within five minutes of the phone call. He said, I don't know what else could have happened. And I just thought about that. And I just sat there. And I said, okay. And and this is still fresh on my mind, obviously. And I thought, you know, somehow, you know, I'm going to share this. I just wasn't sure how. Because this is one of those stories you could share in a whole bunch of different ways. You could go, you know, kind of Psalms 39 point, you know, in, in verse 4, where the psalmist begs to understand the extent, the nature, the, the days of their life, and that he may know that it's very, very transient. Maybe I could go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and talk about, oh, it's appointed a man once to die and then the judgment, and use this story this would make a probably a pretty good story if you could weave it in to the invitation above just how much we don't know anything about our lives. I thought about Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It's, it's not really talking about death or anything like that, but just this whole idea that from time to time, all we can do is our best. And in Romans chapter 12, you know, he, he wrote, to the extent that you are able... And that was the important part of that passage. Get along with everybody. But the idea was, you do what you can. You still may not get along with everybody, but God's call for you is to do what you can. And I thought about that. But here's the part of the story that becomes important. And quite frankly, it's the part of the story where we get the title. So I go in... And I meet the facility manager, and he's just kind of, just he's just somewhere else. He's, he's a man, he's very, very large, very, very tall, very, very broad in the shoulders, and he's got a heart to match. It really bothered him. And I said, hey, how are you doing? He goes, I'm not doing well. He said, but we'll just call the guy's name Joe. He said, Joe's taking this really hard. Joe was the team member. Joe was the team leader. And so I went, and he said, Joe's kind of in the break room, and 
I said, ah, let me go talk to Joe. Now understand something here. Joe is not an ordinary person. To meet him, for me at least, is to kind of look up a little bit. Joe's pretty good size. Even 4% body fat, and that's only because of Thanksgiving. I mean, he's just very, very fit. But more than that, Joe used to be an army medic. Joe has seen people shot. He has rushed to the aid of people that have been blown up by bombs on the side of the road and everything. However, Joe never had anybody die. Joe did not know what that was like. He had seen all sorts of gore and everything like that. Joe had never actually experienced death. And so when I walked up to him, he would not make eye contact with me. He just looked down. His voice quivered. And I said, Joe, you did everything you could. You did absolutely everything that you possibly could. And I said, and to quote the paramedic, if this guy had any hope, it's because of what you did. You did everything you could. And I will never forget a man whose voice typically would boom. In fact, you had to be, had to warn him sometimes. You know, he'd get kind of agitated and his voice would get going. It just, it just had that quack, you know, that little waver to it. He would not look up. And all he could say over and over, not near enough. Not near enough. And that's our lesson this morning. And it's one of those phrases that we have to watch because it is one of those phrases that, quite frankly, Satan uses on us time and time again. And he uses it coming and going. That's the thing about him. Remember, he's pretty shifty. You know, like first he wants to tell us we are not enough. And he wants us just to continue to think less and less and less of ourselves. Not near enough. And that would make for a good lesson. But that's not where I'm going to dwell today. I'm going to dwell on the other side of what Satan does. Where Satan wants us to believe somehow that we are enough. That we're more than enough. That we're bigger than enough. And because of that, we lack the humility in what we're working on. We lack the conviction of relying on God. We lack a realization of what we are up against in the fact that the only way that any of it's going to be successful, the only way that anything possibly good can happen is when we rely on God. Paul went so far to say and when he was talking about the thorn on his flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, one of the things, he was glad that God did it. Because that was God's way of making sure that he did not exalt himself too much. And if the Bible, from the beginning to the end, and even not even just the beginning and the end in the Old Testament and New Testament, even carrying on into 
2021, if you watch the calling of God's elect. And when I say the calling, you know, so many times, and yeah, while we're talking about this, go in your Bible and go back to Exodus chapter 3 and 4, and we're going to talk about the calling of Moses and when I, but when I say the word calling, right away we sort of tune that out just a little bit because calling is what happens to people like Moses. Calling is what happens to people like Abraham. Calling is what happens to people like uh, Saul on the way to, you know, as he's traveling the land. That's the calling. We are, no, we are called. When I talk about the word calling, I'm talking about anybody that rises to the occasion of that which God has put in front of them. It started in the very beginning, it goes through the end of the book, and it continues today. God calls us to do some things. God calls us to do great things. Maybe not huge and magnanimous, as we might count huge and magnanimous, but he calls us to do great things. And one of the characteristics you will see time and time again, for those that have answered the call, and on behalf of God done some pretty cool things, is all of them looked at the situation looked at themselves, and with humility and reliance on God said, not near enough. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as Paul is talking to the people, and then we're going to go to Exodus here in just a second, he says, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, and many mighty, not many noble, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that you are so that no man, get this part here in verse 29, may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification, redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. You will not see arrogant people accomplish much on behalf of God when you read the Bible. Oh, every now and then they could have a little arrogant streak and they may get a little full of themselves here and there. But when you look at it, in their arrogant state, God didn't call them. God called them for their humble state. And he would break them down if he needed to. But go, go, let's go to Exodus chapter 3. To me, that's kind of a fun one to look at. Is to watch Moses. Because if ever there was somebody where you could just look very tactically at what he's doing and how God's working with him and all the various things going on, it is someone who had to say, not near enough. In Exodus chapter 3, we get the story of the burning bush. We understand that that he has been called by God. We understand he's to take off his shoes and, and everything. He gets to verse 11, but God has told him what he wants him to do. Now remember, Egypt was not unfamiliar territory to Moses. Pharaoh was not an unfamiliar person to Moses. Moses says in verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? 
Now, what I love about that is he speaks in the first person. He speaks, I, who am I? Now, what you see, and, and, and kind of we have to kind of start a little bit with the end in mind, if you don't mind, and that is to go to uh, chapter 4, and no, don't do that. Go stay in chapter 3. Don't get ahead of yourself. Sorry about that. Understand, but look at chapter 4, verse 19. This, to me, is what makes this a great story. The whole thing's a great story. God is going to call him to go talk to Pharaoh. But in verse 19, look what he says. I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go, except under compulsion. So right away, I mean, it's kind of an interesting calling. Moses, I want you to go. Moses, Pharaoh is going to say no. We're going to have to compel him. Now, when God says we're going to, it's going to be out of compulsion, God's not saying, okay, Moses, you are going to have to compel Pharaoh. No, in fact, if you look, from a, when Moses talks in verse 11 about his use of the word I in first-person pronouns, all of a sudden, God shifts that. And God, be able, God begins to speak of himself in the first person. And God says, this is what I am. He goes on to say, I will bring you up out of the affliction. And they will pay heed to what you're doing. He talks about what I will do. And that's what Moses needed to understand. Moses was not near enough. And that's what God wanted him to know. Oh, he was chosen. He had God's faith. He had God's confidence. But he, unto himself, didn't have anything. You keep flipping, you know, and, and you look from the time that that happens all the way through, you begin to see Moses' life, day in and day out, is all about not near enough. God provided the plagues. God compelled them. It was God, you know, Moses stood there in chapter 14 on the basis, right there on the edge of the Red Sea, knowing full well he was not near enough. But as he opened up his arms, it was God that pushed the sea back. It was God that did all of those things. And it's interesting because if you watch, you know, when they first crossed over, and you remember they, they ran out of water, they were all thirsty. God said, hey, strike that rock, we'll get some water. Struck the rock, there was water. Now, later on in Numbers chapter 20, they're thirsty again. God said, speak to the rock. Moses kind of forgot. He was not near enough. So he struck the rock. And yes, water gushed. People drank. Thirst was quenched. Moses was not allowed to go over into the promised land. Again, you look at it time and time again, and you will see. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, 
We've talked about that in class before in Deuteronomy chapter 20 as they're preparing and before going over into the promised land and they, they get this instruction from God about warfare. You know, how they're supposed to go to battle and everything like that. This is how we're going to take care of things. And what he says more in, in, very important from the very beginning, he says, when you go to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. To be perfectly honest, even though, yes, it's good to have, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1 is the most important part of that whole chapter. Because he says, you are going to see that you're not near enough. You are going to see horses, and you're going to know you are not near enough. You're going to see chariots, and you're going to know you are not near enough. You're going to see people, way more people than you, and you will know that you are not near enough. That's his way of saying, you be humble. You recognize that, he says, but know that God is with you. And that's what makes not near enough more than enough, is because of what God is doing. If you keep flipping over, keep going to, uh, go back, I guess, uh, to Numbers chapter 13. When they were close, and they really hadn't been wandering very long, but they were close. Let's send the spies over to get a report. Two of the spies knew they were not near enough in the right healthy framework. Ten of them went the other way with it. Ten of them, they all said the same thing. Ten of them said it from the perspective of Satan and doubt and fear and lack of faith. Oh, but Caleb and Joshua just kind of looked around and said, hey, they're pretty big. (laughs) And there's a lot of them. Yeah, they're formidable. I mean, I just kind of imagined them, but then they said, but in Numbers chapter 14, verse 8, if God is pleased with us, we can do that. And time and time again, not near enough is the first thing that we should say. To understand our reliance on God, we come over and let's go New Testament. New Testament, we just, the best one is to kind of pick up in, in Acts chapter 9. As we see the, as we see the interaction with, with Saul, and he's going to be, he's converted, he's going to become Paul. And one of the things that he had to come to grips with really, really quick. And remember, Paul would later on talk about why he had reason to brag, if he was going to brag. In terms of his relationship, in terms of his his education, his pedigree, and, and everything else. And he says, but he's in here in verse chapter uh, 9, you know, one of the things that God says about him, in verse 16, I need to show him how much he's going to have to suffer for my sake. Paul needs to know that he's not near enough. And Paul had a lot going for him. 
but armed with that understanding that in his ministry, in what he was doing, he was not near enough. And because of that, he relied upon God. He sought the counsel of God. He listened to God. He did the will of God. He put the church over his own health, over his own comfort. He talked in terms of, I don't know, do I want to be here? Do I want to be up in heaven? It's better for me to be here. Not near enough. The second thing, and this is just, you know, we kind of go back through it, we've touched on some of it, is those that witnessed God. Those that said, not near enough, in a healthy reliance upon God, got to see some really, really cool things. They got to come face to face. You look, the minute, you know, just from the very beginning, when people did that, they got to witness just the raw power of God, the purpose of God. They enjoyed victories that they had no business winning. They enjoyed situations that they had no, they had, you know, farm and circumstances. They enjoyed a land flowing with milk and honey, not because of anything they did, but because of their reliance upon God. In fact, God was so adamant about that, that he let them wander until all of those who doubted who he was, who thought on some stretch that they were the result of things, or that they had the power to do this, that they were going to fight that their ability to make a golden calf or anything like that, God said, we're going to wait till all of those people are done because when you get over into that land, you need to know who brought you. And you need to know you're not enough. But with me, you are not near enough. And you watch and you go over. Turn to Joshua chapter 6. We'll just kind of hit a few of these high ones. Uh, in Joshua chapter 6, the entire nation got to see what it's like when they recognize that unto themselves they are not near enough. And they watched a huge great city fall. That same group then realized one chapter later, in Joshua chapter 7, when they thought they were enough. And they thought they maybe didn't have to listen to God completely. The entirety of them. And they lost there at AI. You know, we could turn over to, uh, you know, the book, of, and we could read about Jonah. I mean, Jonah knew he was not near enough. In fact, not only was he not near enough, he sort of threw out a sermon that was not near enough. blah, 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 blah. I mean, he just sort of phoned it in. Guys think you're getting a bad sermon. I mean, the city of Nineveh got a far worse one. But he got to witness what happens when not near enough meets the one who is bigger than all. And I thought about that. And, and to be honest, I rattled off. I got several more from Old Testament and New Testament. And I thought, no, you know what? We got to go quick. Or we could kind of move it into 2021 a little bit. 
Because one of the things I want us to recognize is this idea of not near enough. We talk about it as a negative. But if you think about it for just a second, we've got the ability to spin it into a positive. That after time and after reflection, after we understand maybe a broader definition of of what success looks like, I believe if we were to go back in time to Exodus chapter 14 and said, how close was Egypt, how close was Pharaoh in bringing enough men in the army to kill you? I believe that you could talk to Daniel and say, Daniel, how close was that lion to being big enough to kill you? I believe that you could call and talk to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and tell them the furnace went seven times hotter than it ever been. How close was it before you died? And all of them in a resounding way would say, not near enough. I believe you could go to the people that wandered in the wilderness. And you could ask them, how close were you to running out of manna? How close were you to running out of water? How close were your shoes to wearing out? How close? And they would look at us and say, not near enough. I believe after a time of reflection, we could have sat down and talked to Job and said, Job, Satan threw all that at you. But God had a tough talk with you, you know, at the end. How close were you to worrying that somehow God was going to truly abandon you forever, and he would say, not near enough. Time and time again, if we were to ask them, we said, Samson, you're standing there with not much more than the jawbone of a donkey. How many more Philistines do you think it would have been before you'd have been killed? David? How much taller would Goliath had to have been? How much more would Saul have had to pursue you? How many more Philistines would he have had to call and before you think, you know, you'd have died? And to a person they would have said, not near enough. We've been here a little over 20 years. And I can say with great certainty a couple of things. I can say that I've watched afflictions here. I can say that I have seen all manners of, of cancer, all manners of, of just of bad luck. I've seen all manners of just pick your favorite thing and I've watched it here. We've had it. And I can't help but think, as I've watched all of it, oh, it's been tough. And we've prayed. 
to talk to someone. How close were you? And they would say, not near enough. Ask Suzanne Dirks. Suzanne, how close in the end were you to believing that God had forsaken you? That his will was going to be thwarted? That he had forgotten all about you and that all manner of joy could not possibly exist in your life? She would have said, not near enough. I can remember speaking to my father-in-law toward the end. And I knew for a fact that if I had asked him, Dwayne, how close are you to believing that God has given up on you? He would have just looked at me with an angry voice. Not near enough. And I tell you that this morning, as we close and as we begin to sort of drift into the invitation, it would be very easy right now to look at your life and think differently. It would be very easy to, to think, surely God cannot possibly redeem me. Look at all that I've done. Look at all that I've committed. Look at all the neglect, the hurt, everything like that. Surely, my life exceeds the limit of his grace. And that's exactly what Satan would love you to hear. That is exactly what Satan would like you to believe. This morning, I ask you to look at yourself. And you may have those words rumbling around in your, mouth, in, your, in your ears, in your head, and in your mind, and in your heart. And you could listen to Satan. Try to convince you that somehow, when God said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, that he'd remember sins no more, that somehow in the sufficiency of grace, it wouldn't be enough. You could listen to that. Or you could listen right now as the Savior whispers to you when you say, Jesus, haven't I done too much? This morning he whispers to you, not near enough. Come to God as we stand and sing.